Hello everybody, welcome to STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, and I am your host Karen Wickiam with Mary Gardner, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, welcome everybody, so glad to be back. Yes, it feels good to be writing and researching and recording again. It feels, it feels good, it feels right. So here we are. Season one, episode one, and what we are discussing is uh, human medical experiments on children, namely disabled children and whoever they felt they were unfit, uh, you know, considered test materials rather than human beings. Trigger warning right off the bat because this subject matter is, is grim and it's disturbing. So just letting you know. The mentally ill and disabled have been shunned in civilization throughout history. Sometimes it was thought that they were a curse brought down on their family for a perceived sin or some kind of fault caused by the family. The disabled have been demonized and considered a drain on society to be warehoused away to live in horrendous conditions, getting beaten and abused. They have been dehumanized. The eugenics movement played a huge role in human experiments. So... Let's talk about eugenics. It's the scientifically inaccurate theory that humans can be improved through selective breeding of populations. This term came about in the 1880s by Sir Francis Galton. He was the cousin of Darwin. And his theory of eugenics is a combination of Darwin's natural selection, Gregor Mendel, and his discovery of dominant and recessive genes, and... Herbert Spencer with his theory of survival of the fittest. So Galton's theory of eugenics, the, the word means well-born and that all traits are inherited. Intelligence, work ethic, talent, drive, mental and physical strength and weaknesses. A quote from him kind of sums it all up. It says, quote, could not the undesirables be got rid of? and the desirables multiplied, end quote. So this kind of gives you a, an early idea of what this, this movement theory, what this guy's all about. He believed in controlled breeding in humans in order to create a better species. He felt that a person's environment had very little to do with the development of such characteristics and that species improvement could be achieved through elite marrying and having large families. So the 1920s eugenic movement was a theory that was being embraced around the world, but mostly in America, the term in the theory. It doesn't mean that it was already, it wasn't already going on um, in, in, for example, like with the caste systems and stuff like that. So it was a theory that was being embraced in the government and among the elite, statisticians, economists, anthropologists, sociologists, Social reforms, geneticists, public health officials, they all supported it. And it was being taught in colleges and universities. And it was being discussed and supported socially. In the 1920s, the movement went from selective breeding to segregating and warehousing people with mental and physical disabilities. But not just the disabled. If you fell into these categories of undesirable race and with whatever they considered uh, gender, 
level of education, whether you were an orphan or had a history of uh, criminal activity. And this led to the institutionalization, sterilization, human medical experiments, and then moving forward, genocide in Nazi Germany. Eugenics, like I said, is practiced to this very day. So let's break it down a little bit more. The eugenics movement took a sinister turn in the 1900s. It moved from positive eugenics to negative eugenics, which that led to the genocide in Nazi Germany. There is nothing positive or good about positive uh, eugenics. Saying mm-hmm. positive a lot. Mm-hmm. It's definitely negatively positive. No. <laughs> Um, but one, uh, the positive eugenics is the less of the two evils. That's the best way I can put it. Okay. So in positive eugenics, they're encouraging healthy, capable people of above average intelligence to bear more children with the idea of building an improved race. So they were putting it out there. If you are, I'm going to say it, if you're white, if you're what is considered intelligent and successful, have as many babies as possible. Mm-hmm. We need to flood the market yeah. with with generic <laughs> people. And mm. if you don't fit whatever that category is, we want to make sure or lower your ability to have children. And I think we all know being white with money and social standing doesn't make you any better. So now negative eugenics was developed in the US and then Germany took this on and it played on the fears of race degeneration. So basically the, the fear of our race, our nation, our our who we are is falling apart because of these people. Let's pop back to the 19th century a little bit and talk about what being a doctor was like. So in the 1800s, becoming a doctor mostly involved some sort of education, but mostly an apprenticeship with an established doctor. And there was little or no formal training. The income was modest without much status. This changed dramatically in the early 20th century. There were great strides in research and a greater understanding of the human body and also skill in the physician. With that came prestige and wealth, as well as competition to be the first to find cures for deadly and debilitating diseases and conditions. The 1920s to the 1960s became the age of heroic medicine. There was no heroism on behalf of the doctors. What was considered heroic, and I'm doing air quotes, is that they took the risk with other people's lives that they were experimenting on. They were willing to risk injury and illness. I don't know how that makes them heroic, the test subjects who were the victims, they were the, they, if there was anything heroic, it was them. And eugenics would determine who these victims would be. Medicine and medical experiments in the early 20th century was like the Wild West. Doctors were practically free to roam the fields of research, committing terrible pain and suffering in the name of science. Because medical ethics was in its infancy, There were little or no repercussions for the crimes against humanity that they committed, especially if there was a positive outcome. Their criminal acts would be excused. One of the points laid out in the Nuremberg Code is that in order to do a 
human experiment. It has to be therapeutic to the person that they're doing it to. For instance, if you have a condition where they need to do something more invasive in order to help you in the long run, like I had to get um, some imaging done on my shoulder that required them to go in with a needle, inject dye while they're looking at it. Now that is, they had to do that to figure out how they were going to fix me. So that's okay. And it's not necessarily an experiment, but it, it kind of is. It's like, let's go in and let's figure out what's going on. And this is going to hurt while we're doing it, or this is going to be crappy, but long-term it's going to help you. So this did not happen. There was no benefit for the person having the experiments done. They used throwaway children, children that were considered expendable. Those yeah. that were institutionalized due to mental or physical disabilities, which at the time was a very loose term. It didn't take much to be considered disabled. If you were an orphan or a child that had been removed from their home for whatever reason, a juvenile delinquent. It, so you were fair game, basically. If, if for some reason you pissed off, you know, the powers that be, for lack of better terms, you could be considered disabled. Now, I, I don't like the word disabled, but I, for lack of, of different words, or I'm using the words they, they used. In fact, they used way worse words. Mm -hmm. um, they dehumanize people who they they found not useful in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And Unde undesirable. Yeah. So you could be someone who pissed off your, a wife that pissed off her husband for whatever reason. Um, you could be uh, a, a criminal, uh, someone who, you know, couldn't read or write that kind of thing. And if, if they could get enough uh, people behind it or someone behind it, you could end up in one of these institutions. No one deserved in, to be in these institutions. You may need care, but you need compassionate care. Now, I, I promised to myself this year I wouldn't go off on any rant, so I'm going to hold it and stop it right there. <laughs> okay. You can't take the humanity out of me. I'm just too... I know. I'm too I compassionate. Just, I get to hear the rants instead, so... So I'll, I'll just calm them down here a bit and get back to what we're talking about. So they were considered the optimum uh, test subjects. And then because they had dehumanized these people, they brought them down to the level of, of an animal. And oftentimes animals were treated better and they were plentiful. Again, not my words, because these, these people were, like I said earlier, warehoused, jammed in. There may be a, a, a 500 bed hospital would have 1100 people in it mm. and they were horrible they lived in horrible conditions so these were um controlled and isolated environments where they could conduct their tests and their test subjects weren't going anywhere it was built in because you already had nurses there to help with these tests and you just it was a perfect environment you couldn't have done a better job if you grabbed a bunch of people put them in a laboratory and did what you needed to do so they were cheap material and they were referred to as material. Oh my goodness. So could you dehumanize the human being even more, like, no. a, more than that? On top of all of this, 
these children couldn't speak up for themselves. And they had a fear of, of punishment and they didn't know what, would, what was happening to them. And they were desperate for change. They often were just, all they saw was with, was in those walls and often never even leave the rooms that they were put in. And they were lonely. They craved attention and kindness. And at first, when they were approached, they'd get that for a second. And they would do anything to hope for this happening again. And one of the ways that they would dehumanize people was to attach them with a derogatory name that indicated that they thought their intelligence, what their intelligence was and what therefore their worth was. And then they were stuck with this, this name for life. So this goes under the um, headline or subject line of medical defectives. Jesus. So, yeah, if you were feeble-minded, you had the highest level of functioning. That's between 70 and 80 IQ. A moron had a 50 to 70 IQ. An imbecile had a 26 to 50 IQ. And an idiot had a 0 to 25 uh, IQ. A lunatic was anybody that had mental illness or what they would call mentally disturbed. A lunatic. That lunatics would... have taken Getting over the, the asylum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are the real lunatics here? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite there is imbecile. <laughs> why is that your favorite? I don't know. It's just to me, it's like if someone is really annoying me, it's like, but I guess now that I know the origin of the word, I don't want to use it. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like I would use these words before and I probably still, cause it's become part of my, 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 you know, everyday language, but knowing the genesis of these, it makes me want to not use these words anymore. So then the, there was physical labels that were put onto people and these are horrible, horrible. And again, I'm, I'm breaking these down so that we all have an understanding of, of what they did to human, to dehumanize people. So Cretan, I've heard people say, oh, you're a Cretan or Mm. they're a Cretan. Yeah. Yeah. But really what it means and what they put on a person is that they had a, had congenital hypothyroidism, a severe deficiency of, in the thyroid gland and iodine, which led to lack of weight gain stunted growth, thickened facial features, abnormal bone growth, intellectual disabilities, swelling of the skin, poor feeding, and jaundice. So back in the day, if you sort of had all these, these things going on, they would look at you like you were a freak and people would actually be put in freak shows that had this condition. So this is Cretan. Cretan. And, and what it is, what we call it is congenital hypothyroidism, Hypo which, yeah, below. which, okay. yeah, okay. which is, we, we can, you know, treat it nowadays. Mm-hmm. The next one is they would call people a gargoyle. It's somebody who has Hurler Hunter syndrome. Oh, I feel like I've heard of that. Yeah. It's a lack of an enzyme that is needed to digest sugar. And undigested molecules build up in the body, causing progressive damage to the brain, heart, and other organs. Oh, God, that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. And people that have this syndrome usually have large heads, joint stiffness, hearing and vision loss, and impaired growth. So something like this untreated, though it 
it's very it's still very hard to treat now who would someone who would need so much care would be labeled a gargoyle and that's it and there were uh, during that time the lifespans were very short so it would be okay so we can do even more horrible tests on a quote unquote gargoyle because they're not going to live long anyway so let's let's just go for broke (sighs) sounds like a horrible disease it is um condition i guess it is the next one is mongoloid and that um is a term that was used for people with down syndrome and uh so their unique looks and abilities exploit and they they took that and they exploited them it's it's mm, fucked okay so the next uh moving forward from from that i want to talk about charles b davenport oh my gosh this is one of the ones that i was bitching and moaning about but i'm going to stop right there (laughs) In, uh, in the u.s he was the number one eugenicist at the time and he was obsessed with hereditary dysfunction he had an obsession with people that had both down syndrome and dwarfism and he wanted to uh, study the chromosomes of people with this condition. And there was a 13-year-old boy in uh, at one of the institutions that he was doing um, experiments on. And uh, he wanted to see if he could figure out what was going on. He felt that the only place to take tissue samples from this child was through their testicles. What? So he castrated him. Oh, my Lord. And this was supported by the hospital itself. No one had a problem with this. Wait, how old was this kid? 13. But wouldn't that further mess up what was going on with him already? Like they care. (laughs) Like if he wasn't fully developed and you remove someone's testicles, like wouldn't puberty be interrupted? Well, yeah. And so, you know, but what do they care? You know, they're, uh, they're test material. So he did this at um, uh, Letchward Village Colony for the feeble-minded. Um, and all it took, didn't take any more than asking the superintendent to have approval to allow medical experiments to take place there. Regardless of the type, asylums and institutions of this kind were enthusiastic to take part. They wanted to be part of the discovery was found they want to be able to say yeah that was at our place we we were part of it yeah but at what cost they didn't care because of eugenics people these people were dehumanized they were if mm-hmm. okay so matter. believe this or not well no you're going to believe it governmental policies were put into place to allow these specific actions to happen regardless of human suffering so this is what they said that they can do to people that fell under their categories. They could segregate them. They could deport them. They could castrate them. Marriage prohibition, compulsory sterilization, occasional euthanasia, or withholding medical treatment. If you fell under that category, you could be subject to any one of those things, and it was written into law. Oh, Jesus. Let's get back to Charles. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, it's just, you know, I mean, I like to think that things are better. I'm sure there's bad shit that still goes on. Well, the things are definitely better, but, you know, it's still going on. 
Okay, so back to Charles Davenport here. Um, obviously, he practiced negative eugenics. Mm-hmm. And he said that the U.S. was being taken over by unfit materials and defectives. So what's a qualification? This Now, this qualification is broadened even more as time goes on. As to what's defective? As, as to what's uh, defective. Or who are defective materials. Yes. Mentally and physically disabled, as we discussed. Beggars, thieves, lunatics, people who spoke poor English, stutterers, painfully shy with social anxiety, immigrants, women who disobeyed their husbands, and anyone part of the LGBTQ community could be at risk. So one of the biggest eugenicists of the time, other than Davenport, was a man by the name of Leon Whitney. And here is his solution. I, I, I wrote it down as a quote. All right, here we go. Okay. Quote, in one fell swoop, we could eliminate all our useless degenerates and capable of anything beyond a kind of gross animal happiness. If we could awaken one morning and find all of these gone in some mysterious but painless fashion, what class of person would we fix on to be the ones eliminated? Start with eliminating at the bottom. We should go to the institutions for the feeble-minded and look at their inmates. The first ones to be picked would probably be those so low of grade as to be hardly better than human vegetables, end quote. He was met with approval by physicians, politicians, universities, and colleges who taught eugenics and prominent citizens. It gets, it gets worse better. Theodore Roosevelt, President Theodore Roosevelt, wrote a letter to Davenport, and this is part of it. Quote, I agree with you. This society has no business to permit degenerates to reproduce their kind. Someday we will realize that the prime duty, the inescapable duty of the good citizen of the right type is to leave his or her blood behind him in the world and that we have no business to permit the perpetuation of the wrong kind, end quote. So how the hell do you stand a chance when your president is writing love letters to Davenport. Yeah. I want to quickly touch on um, Margaret Sanger here. Uh, she was a birth control activist, sex educator, writer, and nurse. When I first heard about her, I thought what she did for uh, women's rights was amazing. And obviously I didn't dig deep enough. And you'll hear why. Her, she opened up a clinic that evolved into what is now today uh, Planned Parenthood clinics. She did discourage abortions, but supported them in the case of high-risk pregnancies. She was well-respected in the medical community and as an activist. So why am I telling you this? Sounds great, right? Um, Because she was an ardent eugenicist. She wanted to rid society of the unfit, the defectives. And here's a quote from her. Quote, Vigorously opposing charitable efforts to uplift the downtrodden. It was better that the cold and hungry be left without help. End quote. Mm. So that the eugenically unfit would not get in the way of the eugenically fit. And she called the poor and disabled, quote, human waste, weeds needing to be exterminated. End quote. So... She could use her clout to help deal with the weed problem. Now, I'm not saying there's anywhere that said that she was, 
using her clout, as I said, to uh, against these, you know, degenerates as they, you know, they put them defectives as they put them. But I could see how her efforts could be used in these cases. So Davenport wanted to rid America of the socially unfit, as I have already said. And he wanted to start uh, a records office that could compile basically all the fit and unfit people. But mostly what he was wanting to do was to put um, a resource together that would list all the people that were considered unfit and target them. And this was called Eugenics Records Office, also known as ERO. And he had a wealthy socialite fund this. She dumped tons of money into it because why? She was a eugenicist. They gathered very sensitive personal medical information of defective heredity and defective lineage, social standing, level of education, and much more. In this building, massive amounts of cabinets it was a repository of hereditary data. It, was, it became the biggest repository, and it was employed by a fleet of field investigators that would make thousands of phone calls and official visits to private homes, hospitals, prisons, asylums, and orphanages all around the U.S. And they would tease out the people with defective genes, and they would racially profile individuals and families and also... People that were officially listed, the poor, alcoholics, criminals, epileptics, the insane, which is a broad category of Mm. people that are physically or mentally disabled, uh, mental illness, and the subcategories for that, uh, stutterers, bad housewives, unruly children. Also on the list, the weak, people with specific diseases like STDs or the examples I gave with uh, dwarfism, hypothyroidism, physical deformities, the deaf, the blind, people who fell under this category of racial profiling, as I said earlier, um, as part of a unfit race. So people that had immigrated to the country, people that were Italian, Irish, uh, black people, they would work really hard on finding out a reason why they should be kicked out. Or used in experiments. So these people were considered prime research material. And this fleet of investigators were mostly made up of young men and women attending elite colleges and universities. 300 were people were field trained. And their minds were brainwashed to these paranoid conspiracies. Like I said, the ERO became a very powerful institution. Can you imagine if you were in there? Like, if your name was listed and put in there? Mm-hmm. Like... No. <laughs> human rights. that You couldn't, couldn't cause a bigger human rights violation than this. And I wonder if these records... Well, I think the records probably still are in existence. Are they being used? Or are they filed away? Who knows? I'd like to know more about that. So as I mentioned earlier, there were courses... Like eugenics was being taught in universities. So there were courses that were studied starting out in high schools. That was very base, uh, generalized level of it, but it started on young minds there. Then it was offered in universities and colleges, and these courses became very popular. 
And worse yet, it was a mandatory course in medical schools. So eugenics infected the young minds and future caregivers and leaders of the American society. 20,000 students annually were taking a eugenics course at its peak. So eugenics and the disdain towards the weak became normalized. By the end of the 1920s, institutions that warehoused the most vulnerable members of society happily and eagerly opened their doors to allow the children to become victims of their cruel and criminal human experiments. And this is where I'm going to leave off. Because that was a lot to digest. It is a lot. (laughs) It's mind-boggling. It makes my head hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it it makes my heart hurt. As I'm sure those of you um, who listen, uh, who are listening, it's just enraging. Well, it's putting value on someone's life because of something that's might have been beyond their control. Like if they were born with Down syndrome, how is that their fault? The how is their life any less the vulnerable? Well, of course. I mean, exactly. the The vulnerable members of our society should be cared for with compassion, protected. Yes. Um. They should, we sh- they should, caregivers should meet the highest level of ethical and moral standards. And, you know, it still isn't happening. So the next episode I'm going to talk about, get a little bit deeper into uh, the Nuremberg Code and the Declaration of Helsinki. Again, I'm going to just touch on these and then get into exactly the experiments that they were doing, these crimes against humanity that they were inflicting upon most vulnerable members of society, the justifications for doing it. And a big question I'm going to leave you guys with, and maybe you can email me or uh, discuss it on Facebook, on the Facebook group, is that a lot of us, many of us have benefited from these human ex- experiments. Yeah, that's the thing. Polio vaccines, the MMR vaccines, uh, you know, um, gene therapy and and disease eradication. The reason why we can benefit from it, why it saved our lives now and have for for decades, is because of the horrible experiments that were inflicted upon these people and I just I don't know it's hard it's hard cost though right at what cost so yeah that's food for thought for you guys thank you for listening today and gonna leave you with this make sure that you take care of yourself take care of one another Love each other, and most importantly, love yourself. Peace. One love.